this is what we're talking about. The the colour purple is really the reason behind why it was such a popular gemstone because purple was the colour for royalty. Purple was the colour for cardinals. Purple, 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 purple. Hello everyone and welcome to Gem Pursuit. I'm joined today by my trusty co-host Elise Ketcher. Good morning Elise. Hello everybody. Today uh, we are going to be talking about a gemstone that we all know and love which is of course Amethyst is a gemstone I think we've all come across in one shape or form. It's got a really interesting history, some very important points that you have to take into account when it comes to identification and value of it. Uh, there's some very famous amethysts in history that we need to get to know. And of course, a couple of trade tips that we'll try and share with you today. So very excited for this one. Let's get started. Oh. You have a beautiful voice, Elise. Anyway. Voice voice for radio. <laughs> face for radio. Okay, so amethyst, amethyst. All right. We've talked about, uh, we talk about gemstones, and with gemstones we talk about what families they're from, okay? Amethyst is the most prized variety from the family of quartz. Now, I'm not going to go too far into quartz because you it's will a go very down long. <laughs> a very, very long gem road that will be its own podcast season, I'm sure, if we went down the quartz road. But we're just going to be talking about amethyst today, which is the purple variety of quartz. Gotcha. Yes. And as you said, there's lots of other ones, but we're focusing on this one. Amethyst, I think... Okay, first thing that comes to mind, uh, obviously we have to identify amethyst, and the first thing is it has to be purple, okay? Yes. If it's not purple, it's not an amethyst, and that is fundamental to identification. Similar to most gemstones, it will have a refractive index, which will help you identif identify it, which again is the identification for quartz, but it is a reading of 1.54 to 1.55, and this is constant. So like your your RI is basically how light, once it hits the medium of the gemstone, how it actually slows. No, I think that's a great to mention that because we talk about RI, oh, refractive index. Do you not know what the refractive index is? Yeah. It's assumed knowledge, you know, and even it's, um, you know, if you go deep into what the refractive index of the stone is, it does get quite scientific. But as Elise mentioned there, how the light reacts when it hits that gemstone, how it bends the light and all the different gemstones will bend the light a little bit different. And that kind of what affects its refraction is, which is kind of the sparkle for want of a better word. Um, I often go into shop and I'll see Elise with the refractive index machine, um, <laughs> which which it looks like a small, almost like a telescope or a microscope, should I say, um, a bit smaller, and it's got a flat surface. Uh, and if you can, you can place a gem on this flat surface with a bit of refractive index liquid, which kind of just means that you get a, it lets you get a better reading of the gemstone. And then you turn it on and there's a light that kind of goes through it. And then you can read a, a little reading on it, which gives you what the refractive index is. It's a bit... 
it's not difficult to use once you've done it a few times. But. <laughs> Whenever I pull it out and somebody's looking at it, they're like, what on earth is she doing? It's like you're, you know, the Wizard of Oz peering behind a curtain. <laughs> it's like, it does look very odd because you need to put like a darkness around it so that you can actually read it properly. Sometimes I'll be like moving back and forward with my eyes so I can see exactly what it is. People are like, what is she doing? It looks like a bird mating dance but it really <laughs> it really is the best way for us to um mm. determine what the material is and Be- sorry just to get a visual there um when lisa has get darkness behind it obviously a jewelry shop is very bright so often what i'll see is actually uh and i've seen this in other places too someone puts like a big coat over their head and over the refractive index machine to block out the light and that is how you get a ring of it. And, and that is, that's a big one for amethyst. You know, the color and then the refractive index um, is really key for identification of amethyst. I mean, it, it is synthesized. Um, so that will require a further test because it will be purple and it will be quartz. Um, but synthetic amethyst, it's not something I've come across a lot of. Have you come across many synthetic amethysts? No, I think, I, I think that the, the problem is is that because amethyst is so readily available, quartz itself as a gemstone family can be found pretty much anywhere in the world. It is the number one material that is created in the crust of the earth. So if we're looking for gemstones, it's going to be the gemstone that we can find the most anywhere, anywhere. So the thing is, is that we do find amethyst even here in Ireland, you know, it, it is it is something that you can find it's readily called, available. It's called a Kerry diamond. That's what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, Kerry is off the west coast of Ireland and they have, um, you know, they're, they're said to be great sales people. So, you know, they'll brand it as a, as a Kerry diamond. But it is an amethyst for sure. And the colour is not fantastic in them, I must say. But it is a gemstone from Ireland which is a rare thing. I think it's important to say with amethyst, you know, we've talked about our big three color gemstones. And if you want to include diamond as, you know, the, the other one of the big four, we've done those before, you know, sapphire, ruby, emerald, and diamond. Interestingly, amethyst was considered the fifth cardinal gem mm-hmm. up until the early 1800s. So for the whole 17th century, you know, and before amethyst was, it was the gemstone of, you know, the Pope, you know, religious kind of bishops, royalty, the elite in society. Amethyst was the it stone of the time. And that did come to an end, basically following a very large discovery of amethyst in Brazil. Yes. So up until the 19th century, Russia was the leading amethyst capital of because that's where the mines were. But this is what we're this is what we're talking about. The the color purple is really the reason behind why it was such a popular gemstone, because the color purple was connected to all of those things that you just previously said. Royalty was the color. Purple was the color for royalty. Purple was the color for cardinals. Purple, purple, purple. Why was it the color? And it was because it was the most expensive dye color. 
So any kind of clothing, cloaks, anything like that to get that purple color was extremely expensive. So it meant that that color was connected to only those who could afford garments of that color, which were, again, all of those people that you just said. So this is why amethyst kind of becomes this it stone because of its color and had a lot of lore and history connected to it because of its color um, and because it was scarce. So remember in only one mine rush up until the 19th century. After that, it becomes more, you know, there's more places that it's found in specifically Brazil. So it becomes more widespread. But before that, it is an exclusive stone, supply and demand, supply and demand. And the word itself, amethyst, is an extremely funny one because nobody would actually think of it. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you two have ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. The dad, he's so hilarious. He's like sitting in the front. He's very proud Greek man. He just loves everything to do with Greece. And he sits there and his daughter's friend sits in the back of the car and she he goes, give me any word, any word, and I will tell you how it has a Greek root. I'll tell you anything, anything that you can say will have a Greek root to it. And she says, kimono. And he's like, kimono, oh, kimono. Uh, kimo comes from this Greek word, which means clothes. So it comes from, it's a Greek word, even though it's a Japanese word. But this, the amethyst, he would be very proud to tell us that amethyst comes from a Greek word, which is amethystos, which means or translates as a remedy to drunkenness. As a, as a fatal <laughs> Irishman, I've tested that theory and it doesn't work, actually. But <laughs> um, not one to stereotype, obviously. Yes, a meaning not, metho meaning intoxicate not intoxicate and funny when you say it you know when you look at the word meta you kind of see does you know it, it it definitely you can see it once you've someone said it to you but prior to it it's just amethyst but yeah it comes from those two words and a lot of the mythology around that revolves around you know people wearing amethyst to you know protect against drunkenness ancient greeks used to make their drinking vessels out of amethyst which again shows you that it is available in large crystals um, also connected to um, the god of wine in ancient Rome because of it. And it's also, again, because of its coloration, because it was thought to look like wine. So, you know, the purple coloration was thought to look like wine. So connections to royalty, to wine, to gods, to um, protection as well, because like if you loosely translate that, it means that you will be protected from drunkenness, protected uh, from intoxication. So it's like there's a lot of um, nuances also to that meaning. Uh, yeah, it was the god um, Dionysus. Dionysus, yeah, it would, he had a he had a glass of wine that he knocked over onto some clear crystals, and that tinted them purple, and that become amethyst. From yeah. that, uh, it definitely happened, obviously. But <laughs> um, but of course, with all of that folklore and knowing how to identify it, it's very important to be able to value it. So. 
as I explained when we're talking about value, as I explained earlier, it's all about supply and demand, right? So I also explained that with amethyst, it is one of the most frequent gemstones that we see around the world, right? So you can get it even here in Ireland, the Kerry diamond. So it is something that is readily available on the gemstone market. So there is there's issues there, right? Because people are like, oh, well, it's readily available. It's everywhere. I see it everywhere. You know, you can get it. So it has no value. That's not true. Not all things are equal when we're looking at amethyst. Yeah, I think, yeah, so the material is readily available. But like any gemstones, the top colors and the top clarities, you know, and the gem quality ones, in any gemstone, the top variety is going to command a premium i think it's important to you know and i think you could have done this in identification but it really comes into value it's important to think about how amethyst is is formed amethyst forms typically with the most intense colors on the outside on the top of the crystal so it's a again it's a it's a column shape uh, crystal and you can see amethyst if you google it typically in like geos you can see these amethyst crystals growing it's got like a pyramid top and this you know um column shaped body but the the most intense colors are near the top and the outside of those crystals that's to do with the way that they form so the value in amethyst is in the color but because there is this staged color typically you can find amethyst has color zoning but the most valuable colors will be the ones that have obviously the least color zoning and the deepest purple. And in fact, if we go back to before the, the Brazilian mines, uh, and even today they call deep Russian, uh, you know, as the most valuable type, because that's what they associate with the Russian amethyst. I, I think typically, I don't know about you, I hear more like Siberian amethyst as well I hear, and that's that intense, tense color. So again, you're getting these large crystals with color zones in them, um, but it's the edge material that has the most biggest depth of color, which will be the most valuable. Yes. So what color, when we're talking about purple, we're talking about, because we're obviously talking about color. When we're talking about purple, again, it is a range. With amethyst, it has to be purple, and the color range is a, a very light lilac to a deep violet purple, okay? So, and, and then everything in between. It's just not just those two. Those are the two edges of the color range. Every purple in between is also covered. So what we really want when we're looking at anything that comes from nature is something that is outstanding, you know, vibrant, when you look at it, it's almost like paint, you know, but with a three-dimensional color. So with amethyst, what you're really looking for is a very, very vibrant purple color um, that has no hint of lilac, um, a stable color throughout so that you've got no color zoning, so there's no patchiness to it. Throughout it, you see that whole color range and that it 
has a, a reaction or a performance to light. So it's not just opaque purple, but it is an alive purple. And like I've, I've said in previous gemstone series, purple works for everybody in different ways. And some, dare I say, some people don't even like purple. So amethyst might not even be a gemstone for you. But when you're looking at amethysts, it should always be the color that you love, the purple color that you love. Although there is uh, the premium color that is considered the best on the market, you should love the color that, that you, purple that you see when you're looking at an amethyst. Yes, absolutely. But also amethyst, because of the way it's formed, they're very pure crystals, so any, you know, big inclusions in it will detract from the value. Although actually we have an amethyst in stock, which has a, an amethyst. So it's, it's basically got like a small amethyst crystal perfectly formed inside a much, much larger amethyst and actually gives it a, a gemologist will love it. Yeah. Um, but typically you want amethysts that have, you know, purity in terms of no inclusions in it. Yes. And there's one particular inclusion that you do see in amethyst, which gemologists um, call zebra stripes, um, which is something that is very typical in amethyst, which is something that I would look for if I was looking for something um, that wasn't a synthetic amethyst. So this isn't seen in synthetic amethysts or in other kind of um, simulants such as purple sapphire or purple scapolite or fluorite. It's something that's very typical to um, amethysts. But I thought what was really funny is because I've always called them zebra stripes because they look like, you know, zebra stripes. But I was looking in um, GIA and the GIA term that they say on there as well is a soap scum inclusion. And I just thought that that was really funny because like imagine me, you know, someone asking me, oh, what is this that I can see inside the stone? And I go, oh, yeah, that's a soap scum inclusion. <laughs> it just Whoever came up with that term definitely didn't work in I, sales of jewelry. I know, but sure. like zebra stripe just sounds so much nicer than mm. a soap scum inclusion. Yeah, but some, sometimes those gem gemological terms are a bit unusual. Like you know, for ruby, pigeon blood red yeah. is what the the most desirable color. I know, of. but soap scum. Come on, no soap scum. It's just <laughs> yeah. not nice. Nobody wants to hear scum and gem in the same sentence together. Yeah. It just doesn't sound nice. Yeah. Hi there, Gem Pursuiters. I just want to take a quick moment to let you know how you can be part of our Gem Pursuit community. If you want to stay more connected with our podcast and the world of antique jewellery and gemstones, sign up now to our mailing list at courtville.ie. Not only will you never miss an episode of the podcast, but you'll also get behind-the-scenes looks at our recording process, little-known facts and stories about antique jewellery, interactive quizzes and polls, a heads-up on upcoming episodes and seasons, as well as an opportunity to join in in the Gem Pursuit conversation by giving us feedback and asking us questions. So don't wait, sign up today at courtville.ie and join us on our Gem Pursuit. Now back to the show. Famous amethysts. I mean, there was a few in history, at least a few famous amethysts. Of course, because they were the cardinal gem before, you know, you know diamond, I suppose, became, yeah, you know, the, the it gem. Um, but what have you gone for of your famous and 
interesting amethyst. I'm really excited about this one because I've oh. I've been able to um, kind of like lure you away from telling everybody that February's um, birthstone is amethyst. And it's for very good reason that amethyst is chosen okay. as the February birthstone. And... Again, let's go back in time, people, to um, 269 AD, shall we? And this was the 14th of February is celebrated today as Lover's Day or Valentine's Day. And nobody really knows why they have to buy chocolates and flowers for the person they love. But today I'm going to uh, tell you why. And it was because, well, it was originally a Christian holiday that was named after a, a priest that was called Valentine of Rome. And he was martyred in 269 on the 14th of February. And this is why it's called um, St. Valentine's Day. It became Saint Valentine. He became St. Valentine in uh, 496. So just after your birthday, Matthew. And mm, um, <laughs> I know I've used stray gray hairs at least, but that's, that ain't my birthday. <laughs> and the stories that I found about St. Valentine or Valentine of Rome was that he was put in jail because he used to organize um, illegal marriages between soldiers and their love of their lives, right? So because this was in ancient Rome and Emperor Claudius II was like, no marriages for men of a certain age because they're the perfect soldiers. And if they have wives and children, I can't be dealing with it. They need to be single and they need to go out there and they need to win me land and profits and all of this kind of stuff. So marriage was off the table. And Valentine was like looking at all these young men and he was thinking, this is, this is, not, this is not good. We can't allow love to not bloom here. So he used to perform marriage ceremonies in secret for these soldiers so that they could you know have some fun with their wives and loved ones before they left to go away um but how do you find a priest who will marry you if it's a secret priest and it's a secret ceremony and everything is secret how do you find them and the legend Exclusive. the legend is that Valentine of Rome used to wear a very distinctive ring, which was an amethyst intaglio, which had Cupid on it. And the Roman soldiers would be able to identify him by this ring. And then they would go up to him and then they would, you know, organize their marriage ceremony with him so um this is how you know the image of cupid is you know also is that was the legal symbol representing love in ancient rome and um purple again 
you know, was royalty and protective and bringing people together and became the lover's stone, right? So because of St. Valentine. And then eventually became the the actual birthstone of February because of that. And um, I was just reading that story and I was like, no one would ever think that Valentine, you know, what is St. Valentine's? What is the, um, the significance behind Amethyst and how is it all connected? It is actually all connected in this particular story. And I thought everybody should know. And when you think about it, come the 14th of February every year, if you've got a secret admirer, it actually makes sense because St. Valentine was the secret man in terms of doing the marriages back in the day. So, um, yeah, really interesting. I always find it fascinating when you have these kind of modern holidays or events or buildings or names and you kind of trace it back and like, oh, wow, actually that goes back a long way. And do you um, know what? I also have come across so many amethyst intaglios in my time that have cupid on it so many like so many and now i have a connection to what that actually represents like you would never have thought that previously you would have just thought oh what a beautiful amethyst intaglio intaglio means that it's carved into the stone sorry i didn't explain that very well but it means that the image is carved into that stone and i've seen countless renditions obviously of this particular intaglio but now it's nice to have the actual connection mm, yeah well it didn't happen by chance that it was um you know amethyst uh, and obviously as we talked about it has the properties that are make suitable for uh, carving and um, but just thank you elise very interesting story one that we'll all relate to i think that's kind of a happy story although he was martyred um not happy for him i suppose but um mine is a little bit more somber Oh, so, no. um, so much so that <laughs> maybe it's I should have gone first. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Every, yeah, I mean, yeah. I last. No, 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 no. You have every, everyone be on a high now, so this is fine. Just to bring um, the tone bring, back bring down. Bring the tone back down. Yeah, <laughs> it, this gemstone that I'm going to talk about is actually called the gem of sorrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mine's the gem of love, and yours is the gem of sorrow. Yeah, that's quite a juxtaposition. But All right, give me your sorrows, Matthew. Go so, on. the name of it, it's called the Delhi Purple Sapphire. It is actually an amethyst. It's not a purple sapphire. But the reason why it gets its name, and again, you can trace the stone back. And I love doing stones that you can still see today. And this one is in London's Natural History Museum in the Vaults Collection, right? So, you know, really, really cool one. So, it was said that this stone was stolen from the Temple of Indra, which is the Hindu god of war and weather. Important to remember that, war and weather. Um, during the mutiny of 1857, now, of the guy who took this stone, obviously at this time, 1857, Amethyst was ready available on the market, wasn't as valuable as it would have been uh, a purple sapphire. So the guy who took it, clearly he wasn't a trained gemologist like yourself. He thought it was a purple sapphire. Right. I don't know why you would have thought that. Um, well, that I mean, it, you know, it is, this is the thing is like, why would you think that the, the um, Black Prince's ruby is a ruby inside the, the Queen's coronet? Well, she, she's not with us anymore, but the um, coronation crowned, you know, like it's because of the colour. 
So he obviously but thought it must be. It must be. But if you think purple, I think. Amethyst. Absolutely. Anyway, he thought it was purple sapphire. And he took the stone from the temple. Um, he brought it back to England. And, you know, he was absolutely crippled with a series of financial problems, debilitating illnesses. Um, you know, he gave he lent the stone to a friend of his who inexplicably committed suicide. So the gem of sorrow, right? And you're thinking, okay, maybe this guy just had a bit of bad luck, right? The stone was later given to someone called Edward Heron Allen, right? He was a scientist and writer, a vision of rational thinking. However, when he got the stone, all of a sudden he became completely delusional and abandoned all of his, you know, scientific training and thought that all of the bad luck that came to him was a result of this stone and not any external, you know, factors. He reluctantly agreed to lend stone to a friend of his uh, who also became the victim of many unfortunate circumstances. Eventually, he locked the stone away. He didn't want anything to do with it. And he said that, you know, the stone is a curse and is stained with blood and is the dishonor of everyone who owned it. So he hid it away and he said it shouldn't be open for 33 years after his death. Right. Obviously, we can't control anything beyond the grave. Um, anyway, his daughter eventually found it. Uh-oh. Uh, he, da- he died in 44 and she found it after he died. She kind of knew roughly that this was an unlucky stone. Maybe you know? he should have wandered, or maybe he should have given it back to the place that he stole it from. Yeah. Hello. So, yeah. So, worn weather, right? So, you know, not not the type of guy you want to be stealing from, right? Um, but anyway, she kind of heard it. So, she gave it to um, the Natural History Museum in London and had a note in it. But it was put, because of the history, it was put in like the back vault somewhere. No one found it for years and years and years. Um, until the curator, Peter Tandy, discovered this purple sapphire. It's an amethyst. And he opened the letter. And do you know what the letter said? Do not touch the stone. Whoever opens this box, do whatever you want to it. However, my advice to you is to throw it in the sea. Eek! And uh, there you have it. So, um, What do they do with the stone? It's still there. It's still in the Natural History of Museum course. in London. They're like, oh, you know, in the Natural History Museum, you're like, oh, it has this big warning on it. What shall we do with it? Let's put it on display for everybody to <laughs> get cursed by. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the only gemstone like that. There's the Hope Diamond, obviously. That's not in London. I mean, but, but that was something that Harry Winston, like, used as a PR stunt, right? But this is, you know, my advice to anybody... Anybody purchasing a, a beautiful gemstone is to purchase the gemstone, not to steal it from a temple. Yeah, I'd I'd go along with that. It's just like you don't steal things. Like mm. you don't take things from a, a holy place and then expect to have good luck from it, do we? Listen, do we? Do th- we? You have an aura and obviously this one, you know, it, the guy who took it obviously had bad judgment from the get-go. He thought of the purple sapphire. It turned out to be an amethyst. And obviously, it's bad and judgment. Yeah, maybe, from there. maybe like there was, maybe there was karma connected to the stone because maybe we shouldn't steal things. Trade tips. So a quick trade tip for amethyst. And as I always say, I think the best trade tips are some of the most simple ones. And this one comes down to, I suppose, the fact that amethyst prior to the 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 discovery of large amethyst mines in brazil amethyst was 
you know, one of the most desirable sounds, one of the cardinal five gems, right? So what does that mean? Well, what that means is that, you know, just like today, if you find something that's made with fine emerald or if it's made with fine diamond or sapphire or ruby, the piece of jewelry is probably going to be very good. It's probably going to be high-end. It's going to be well-made. Um, but the same is true of amethyst pieces pre-discovery of the Brazilian mines, which is kind of in the 18th late 18th early 19th century so if you find a piece of jewelry from before that time period and it's set with amethyst whereas if you see you know a piece of jewelry from the you know 1970s 80s set with amethyst it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be something really special it's going to be beautiful i'm sure but if you find something from before that time period with amethyst there's a very good chance that this is a top top end piece of jewelry so i would definitely have a very close look at it investigate it for quality makers marks all that type of stuff because Amethyst was one of the cardinal gems at that time, and it was set in only the finest of pieces. Elise, what would you say to someone who was looking for a piece of Amethyst jewellery? Whoa, that woke me up. Um, amethyst. Okay. There's a lot of jewellery floating around with Amethyst in it, right? But the one thing that I would say to you is if you're looking for a very fine piece of Amethyst jewellery, always look at the metal it's set in because that will usually give you a very good indicator of the quality of the stone that's in it. Anything that is in nine carat gold usually means that it's a, it might be a really beautiful piece of jewelry, but it usually will be an affordable piece of jewelry. It'll be what we consider a dress ring or something that you will wear on occasion, like you would wear a really nice dress or, you know, you would wear it in that kind of way. But if you, if you look at a piece that has a top quality stone in it, it'll always be in 18 karat gold. So that's one thing that I would say to you. If you're looking for a really special piece, whether it's going to be for, you know, your birthstone for February or for your sixth or 17th wedding anniversary, which is also what Amethyst um, represents, look for something that is either set in platinum or in 18 karat yellow gold because the gemstone usually will be of top quality. Yeah, great tip. Well, there we are. We've covered, of course, not uh, an exhaustive, but definitely the main points you need to think about if you are considering our, an amethyst or just want to know a bit more about it. So uh, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much, Elise. And thank you to our producer, Ross. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Don't forget, if you're looking for more information to check out our website, www.courtville.ie. We're also on Instagram and on TikTok where you get lots of information and I look forward to talking to you all very soon.